Moby Dick, or The Whale, by Herman Melville. Chapter 73 Stub and Flask kill a right whale, and then have a talk over him. It must be borne in mind that all this time we have a sperm whale's prodigious head hanging to the Pequod's side. But we must let it continue hanging there a while, till we get a chance to attend to it. For the present, other matters press, and the best we can do now for the head is pray heaven the tackles may hold. Now, during the past night and forenoon, the Pequod had gradually drifted into a sea which, by its occasional patches of yellow brit, gave unusual tokens of the vicinity of right whales, a species of the leviathan that but few supposed to be at this particular time lurking anywhere near. And though all hands commonly disdained the capture of these inferior creatures, and though the Pequod was not commissioned to cruise for them at all, and though she had passed numbers of them near the Crozettes without lowering a boat, yet now that a sperm wheel had been brought alongside and beheaded, to the surprise of all, the announcement was made that a right whale should be captured that day if opportunity followed. Nor was this long wanting. Tall spouts were seen to leeward, and two boats, stubs and flasks, were detached in pursuit. Pulling further and further away, they at last became invisible to the men at the masthead. But suddenly, in the distance, they saw a great heap of tumultuous white water, and soon after news came from aloft that one or both the boats must be fast. An interval passed, and the boats were in plain sight, in the act of being dragged right towards the ship by the towing whale. So close did the monster come to the hull, that at first it seemed as if it meant it malice. But suddenly, going down in a maelstrom, within three rods of the planks, he wholly disappeared from view as if diving under the keel. Cut! Cut! was the cry from the ship to the boats, which for one instant seemed on the point of being brought with a deadly dash against the vessel's side. But having plenty of line yet in the tubs, and the whale not sounding very rapidly, they paid out abundance of rope, and at the same time pulled with all their might so as to get ahead of the ship. For a few minutes the struggle was intensely critical, for while they still slacked out the tightening line in one direction, and still plied their oars in another, the contending strain threatened to take them under. But it was only a few feet advance they sought to gain, and they stuck to it till they did gain it, when instantly a swift tremor was felt running like lightning along the keel as the strained line, scraping beneath the ship, suddenly rose to view under her bow, snapping and quivering, and so flinging off its drippings that the drops fell like bits of broken glass on the water, while the whale beyond also rose to sight, and once more the boats were free to fly. But the fagged whale abated his speed, and blindly altering his course, went round the stern of the ship, towing the two boats after him, so they performed a complete circuit. Meantime, they hauled more and more upon their lines, till close flanking him on both sides, Stubb answered Flask with lance for lance, and thus round and round the Pequod the battle went, while the multitudes of sharks that had before swum round the sperm whale's body rushed to the flesh blood that was spilled thirstily drinking at every new gash, as the eager Israelites did at the new bursting fountains that poured from the smitten rock. At last his spout grew thick, and with a frightful roll and vomit he turned upon his back a corpse. While the two headsmen were engaged in making fast cords to his flukes, 
and in other ways getting the mass in readiness for towing. Some conversation ensued between them. I wonder what the old man wants with this lump of foul lard, said Stubb, not without some disgust at the thought of having to do so ignoble a leviathan. Once with it, said Flask, coiling some spare line in the boat's bow, did you never hear that the ship, which but once has a sperm whale's head hoisted on her starboard side, and at the same time a right whale's on the larboard, did you never hear, Stubb, that that ship can never afterwards capsize? Why not? I don't know, but I heard that gamble's ghost of a Fadala saying so, and he seems to know all about ship's charms, but I sometimes think he'll charm the ship to no good at last. I don't half like that chap, Stubb. Did you ever notice how that tusk of his is a sort of carved into a snake's head, Stubb? Sink him. I never look at him at all. But if I ever get a chance of a dark night and he's standing hard by the bulwarks and no one by, look down there, Flask, pointing into the sea with a peculiar motion of both hands. Aye, will I, Flask. I take the Fadala to be the devil in disguise. Do you believe that Cockenbull story about his having been stowed away on board ship? He's the devil, I say. The reason why you don't see his tail is because he tucks it up out of sight. He carries it coiled away in his pocket, I guess. Blast him. Now that I think of it, he's always wanting Oakum to stuff into the toes of his boots. He sleeps in his boots, don't he? He hasn't got any hammock, but I've seen him lay of nights in a coil of rigging. No doubt, and it's because of his cursed tail. He coils it down, and you see in the eye of the rigging, What's the old man have so much to do with him for? Striking up a swap or a bargain, I suppose. Bargain? About what? Why do you see? The old man is hard bent after that white whale, and the devil there is trying to come round him and get him to swap away his silver watch or his soul or something of that sort. Then he'll surrender Moby Dick. Pooh, Stub, you're skylocking. How can Fidala do that? I don't know, Flask, but the devil is a curious chap and a wicked one, I tell ye. Why, they say as he went a-sauntering into the old flagship once, switching his tail about devilish easy and gentlemanlike, and inquiring if the old governor was at home. Well, he was at home, and asked the devil what he wanted. The devil, switching his hoofs up and says, I want John. What for, says the old governor. What business is that of yours, says the devil, getting mad. I want to use him. Take him, says the governor. And by the Lord Flask, if the devil didn't give John the Asiatic cholera before he got through with him, I'll eat this whale in one mouthful. But look sharp. Ain't you already there? Well then, pull ahead. Let's get the whale alongside. I think I remember some such stories you were telling, said Flask. When at last the two boats were slowly advancing with their burden towards the ship. But I can't remember where. Three Spaniards? Adventures of those three bloody-minded soldados? Did you read them there, Flask? I guess you did. No, never saw such a book. Heard of it, though. But now, tell me, Stubb, do you suppose that the devil you were speaking of just now was the same you say is now on board the Pequod? Am I the same man that helped kill this whale? Doesn't the devil live forever? Whoever heard that the devil was dead? Did you ever see any parson a-wearing mourning for the devil? And if the devil has a latch key to get into the admiral's cabin, don't you suppose he can crawl into a porthole? Tell me that, Mr. Flask. How old do you suppose Fadala is, Stubb? Do you see the mainmast there? 
pointing to the ship. Well, that's the figure one. Now take all the hoops in the Pequod's hold, string them along in a row with that mass for aughts. Do you see? Well, that wouldn't begin to be Fidel's age. Nor all the Coopers in creation can show you hoops enough to make aughts enough. But see here, Stubb. I thought you were a little boasted just now, that you meant to give Fadala a sea toss, if you got a good chance. Now, if he's so old as all those hoops of yours come to, and if he is going to live forever, what good would it do him to pitch him overboard? Tell me that. Give him a good ducking anyhow. But he'd crawl back. Duck him again, and keep ducking him. Suppose he should take it into his head to duck you, though. Yes, and drown you. What then? I should like to see him try it. I give him such a pair of black eyes that he wouldn't dare to show his face in the Admiral's cabin again for a long while, let alone down in the Orlop there, where he lives, and hereabouts on the upper decks where he sneaks so much. Damn the devil, Flask. Do you suppose I'm afraid of the devil? Who's afraid of him except the old governor, who daren't catch him and put him in the double darbies, as he deserves, but lets him go about kidnapping people, aye, and signed a bond with him, that all the people the devil kidnapped he'd roast for him. There's a governor. Do you suppose Fidella wants to kidnap Captain Ahab? Do I suppose it? You'll know it before a long flask, but I'm going out to keep a sharp lookout on him, and if I see anything very suspicious going on, I'll just take him by the nape of the neck and say, Look here, Beelzebub, you don't do. And if he makes a fuss, by the Lord, I'll grab into his pocket for his tail take it to the capstan and give him such a wrenching and heaving that his tail will come short off at the stump. And then, I rather guess when he finds himself docked in that queer fashion, he'll sneak off without the poor satisfaction of feeling his tail between his legs. And what would you do with the tail, Stubb? Do with it. Sell it for our ox whip when we get home. What else? Now, do you mean what you say and have been saying all along, Stubb? Mean or not mean. Here we are at the ship. The boats were here hailed to tow the whale on the larboard side, where fluke chains and other necessaries were already prepared for securing him. Didn't I tell you so, said Flask? Yes, you'll soon see this right whale's head hoisted opposite that Palmacides. In good time, Flask's saying proved true. As before, the Pequod steeply leaned over towards the sperm whale's head. Now, by the counterpoise of both heads, she regained her even keel, though sorely strained, you may well believe. So, when on one side you hoist in Locke's head, you go over that way, but now, on the other side, hoist in Kant's, and you come back again, but in very poor plight. Thus some minds forever keep trimming boat. Oh, ye foolish, throw these thunderheads overboard, then you will float light and right. In disposing of the body of a right whale, when brought alongside the ship, the same preliminary proceedings commonly take place as in the case of a sperm whale. Only, in the latter instance, the head is cut off whole, but in the former, the lips and tongue are separately removed and hoisted on deck, with all the well-known black bone attached to what is called the crown piece. But nothing like this in the present case had been done. The carcasses of both whales had dropped the stern, and the head-laden ship not a little resembled a mule carrying a pair of overburdening panniers. Meantime, Fidala was calmly eyeing the right whale's head, and ever and anon glancing from the deep wrinkles there to the lines in his own hand. And Ahab chanced so to stand 
that the Parsi occupied his shadow while, if the Parsi's shadow was there at all, it seemed only to blend with and lengthen Ahab's. As the crew toiled on, Laplandish speculations abandoned among them concerning all those passing things.